This episode of the Policy Viz podcast is brought to you by the Maryland Institute College of Art. Virtually everything we interact with today is driven by or generates data. This data explosion has resulted in the need to take raw, unorganized data and not only process it, but also present it in meaningful ways so that it is insightful and actionable. To meet this need, the Maryland Institute College of Art offers an online Master of Professional Studies in Data Analytics and Visualization, a 15-month accelerated master's program designed for working professionals. The program will teach you to harness the power of data to tell stories, solve problems, and make informed decisions. Learn how to translate data and information into captivating graphics, images, and interactive designs that bring data to life. Micah takes a hands-on, real-world approach with an engaging curriculum. You'll develop career-ready skills while you'll build a compelling portfolio to impress potential employers. Join their vibrant community of creative professionals as you are mentored by passionate faculty leaders who have built successful careers in data visualization. Discover more at online.mica.edu. That's online.mica.edu. Now accepting applications for the spring, summer, and fall semesters. Welcome back to the Policy Viz Podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. On this week's episode of the show, I talk to Tomas Pueyo, who runs the Uncharted Territories newsletter on Substack. Tomas's content covers, well, basically everything from climate change to the war in Ukraine to sex and romance and relationships, COVID. I mean, you name it, he is going deep into these various topics. And so what you'll hear in our conversation is how he goes about doing that. And more importantly, if you're listening to this because of data visualization, his thoughts on maps. He has a terrific Twitter thread that I will link to in the show notes on how maps distort our perceptions of the world. And so we talk at length about how maps do that and how AI and new technologies might help us make maps better. So before I let you go into this week's episode, I would just ask you if you could, if you could take a moment, rate or review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider, be it Apple, be it Spotify, be it Google Podcasts, whatever you listen to, please consider leaving a rating or review. And while you're heading over to the Uncharted Territories newsletter from Tomas, please consider signing up for my Policy Viz newsletter. It comes out every other week to correspond with the podcast. You get a draft blog post or other things that I'm working on, a list of things I'm reading and watching, uh, a list of data visualizations that I think are particularly interesting. And in this week's newsletter, a little poll to ask you what you think I should be doing on my YouTube channel. So enough of that. Let's get into the podcast episode. Here is my conversation with Tomas Pueyo of Uncharted Territories. Hi, Tomas. Good to meet you. Welcome to the show. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. Uh, very excited to chat with you. We've got a lot to talk about because your Substack newsletter, Uncharted Territories, you cover a lot of ground. So I think we have a lot to chat about, but I thought we would just start with maybe you talk a little bit about your background and how you kind of got to the point now where un your, your Substack newsletter is like your, your thing, your gig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I used to live in the Bay Area and I worked in tech. I did that for around 15 years doing product and, and, and growth. And I started writing on the side. I never published anything. Mm. Uh, but after a, few, after a few years, I decided, okay, I'll, I'll just start writing. I, I posted on Medium. 
And then on, at the beginning of COVID, I got a couple of articles that exploded virally. Um, so I started gathering an audience there uh, and eventually I moved to Substack. Uh, and uh, for some reason that I have a hard time understanding, some people are willing to pay money to hear my opinions. Um, and so, and, and there's enough of them now that I can live off of it. And so right. at the beginning of this year, I, uh, I, I dropped my uh, product and tech career and uh, I'm focusing full time on this. Yeah. And you are covering, I mean, I was just scrolling through like the archives, which is great on Substack. You just kind of yeah, like yeah. look through everything, but like you cover attraction, you know, between people, you talk about Ukraine, climate change maps, which we'll talk about in a second. Like, so yeah. what inspires you or, or how do you find, I mean, there's plenty of content, but like what drives you to write about the topics oh that you write about? There's too much of it. I think, in fact, in fact, as a, as a, as a creator, it's a it's a penalty, right? Because um, people they want to follow, for example, oh, an expert on COVID, right, or an expert mm-hmm. on economy or something like this, and and right. they have a really hard time understanding a person who who touches a lot of topics, especially because, like, by definition, if you have breadth, you cannot have depth, right? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I think uh, this has penalized me in terms of of audience. But I find it so boring to just focus on one thing that I just don't want to do it. Um, yeah. And, and, and I think the, like in, in, in my case, I, I just want to understand how the world works. Uh, mm. And once we understand that, we can decide, okay, how, how should we nudge it in the future in the right direction? Right. And I think, I think for me, the biggest thing is uh, everybody's very siloed. And when people are very siloed, it's very hard to make decisions that require... Uh, being cross-disciplinary. I'll, I'll just give you an example, right? So uh, some people talk about fertility, right? And the, the, there's, a, there's an issue about fertility today. There's not enough kids. People say there's too many people, right? Right. Well, why? Some people say that uh, actually there's too many people in, in, in the world because of uh, uh, climate change and uh, mm-hmm. the environment, right? And so you need to understand environmentalism if you, need to, if you want to understand this. Others uh, say, actually, no, the cause of the fertility crisis is economic, right? There's not enough uh, um, developed economic growth. Um, Others say, no, it's urbanization. Uh, Others say, no, it's cultural. And so you actually need to understand the history of of fertility. You need to understand uh, uh, economics. You need to understand urbanism. You need to understand all of these things to understand Mm -hmm. uh, some of these topics. And this is one of the reasons why I talk uh, about all these topics, right? you mentioned uh, climate change. The climate change, the origin of that was fertility, and mm-hmm. then and, and then you also mentioned maps and geography. And and one of the keys there is uh, we don't understand today how much our everyday lives are influenced by geography. And if we mm-hmm. understand that, then we can understand so much more of how the world is today, and then how we can influence it for the future. Right. And where does because I do want to talk about maps because you have this great yeah. Twitter thread, <laughs> and that was the original instinct for me reaching out, but. Uh, where does the data come into play in your, both in the workflow, like, yeah. you know, how do you start collecting data? And then also in the final product, I mean, you are more or less making an argument, sort of telling stories, but you're, everything's sort of supported with data. So how are you thinking about, you know, I guess the first question is, where are you looking for data? How are you working with it, processing it? And then how do you think about weaving that into uh, an article where people are not going to just, you know, nod off and say, this is yeah. giving me a bunch of numbers. I mean, that's not it, easy to do. It is. You're right. I think this is this goes at the heart of, of how this is fascinating. There's two pieces 
that you need to do really well independently, right? You need to do the content well, and then you need to mm -hmm. do the communication well. And most of the people do one or the other, right? Yeah. So, like, like you can see this, for example, in every scientific paper. So there's a lot of content in there, but nobody reads them. Uh, and yeah. vice versa, like, most of the communication today feels shallow, right? And so, and so this is the, the reason why the, this is the case is because the skill set for one or the other is completely different. Mm. Um, and, and you really need to master them both if you want, I think, to be, to be um, uh, really impactful. And so on the content side, because there's so much communication that is very uh, uh, shallow and superficial, you need to go to the people who really have the content um, and that means most of the time reading scientific papers. And so, mm. like, for example, uh, lately I'm, I'm talking a lot about, a lot about sex and uh, differences between sexes and how that shapes human behavior. And I've probably read at this point about 200 par uh, papers, like maybe yeah. like 50 of them full, the rest schemed or abstracts. Mm -hmm. right. uh, but I go straight to the, to, to the papers because that's really where the source information is. Yeah. Um, and for each uh, topic that I take, I go deep into that. And so that requires a lot of time, of course, um, but that's one of the good sides of doing something that you're passionate about. It's like, yeah. you don't see the time. I can spend like 60 <laughs> right. hours a week reading papers and I'm not going yeah. to be tired. So that's on the, on the content side. I read a lot of these primary sources. And then, and then the, the, the key becomes how do you package them in, yeah. a, in, a in, a, in an interesting way. And there... I, I studied storytelling, a lot of storytelling. I, I, I went, when I went to Stanford, I took um, script writing classes. Mm -hmm. uh, I wrote a book about storytelling. Um, I, I gave a TEDx about storytelling. Uh, all of that was to force myself to understand storytelling better. And then I use those structures in all of the articles I, that I make. I see, I see. So I wonder if you could give folks maybe some advice on how to read scientific papers, because that is yeah. also a skill. And yeah. a lot of people are not, you know, they're not academics. They don't have higher degrees. And like, I think the yeah. idea of reading an academic paper is daunting for a lot of people. But yeah, like you yeah. said, that's where the source material is from. So, I mean, let, let's just take one that like your background may not be in sex and fertility, right? Yeah. Like, right. So like, where do you start? How do you start? How do you start reading those papers yeah. so that you feel like you can become an expert, at least for the, the, the goal of writing, you know, three, four, six, ten, you know, newsletter yeah. articles. Yeah. So, so th there's a few ways to do it. Like one is first you need to find them, right. And th there's a, a, a couple of ways to do this. Um, like there's a few search engines, such as consensus, I think that's called, um, other just going straight to Google, you, you put your question, you, you write your question. And then you add a paper and then file type mm. uh, 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 PDF, right? Okay. And so and so like that usually is going to get either the search engines or this that's going to give you a lot of of these of these papers. Then uh, the, the the papers are always going to have an abstract, which is a summary. It's usually ten lines. It takes you like three minutes to read. They are usually written with a lot of jargon, but because it's just ten lines, even with jargon, you can make an effort and try to understand. Mm -hmm. And in most cases, uh, you just need to read the abstract uh, uh, to give a sense to understand what the article is saying. If you need to go into the detail, uh, I think a couple of, of, of keys there is, is the structure of the article itself. Usually there's an introduction, then there's uh, maybe a methodology, then there's results, and then there's the, the, the discussion. Uh, the introduction is um, puts 
the study in context for with all the other studies. And so it's actually very good to start by, uh, in a field by reading one or two papers mm -hmm. on the field because it's going to point you to all the other relevant people and really relevant papers. And so you, you very, very quickly can understand, okay, who are the most relevant people here and who are the most relevant papers? And so yeah. like there you can just follow the thread and get to the, 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 the top papers. Um, many of these papers are going to be uh, meta-analysis and the meta-analysis are the best to start. You really have a good sense of, 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 of what's happening. So the introduction here there is, 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 is valuable, especially for the first papers in a, in a, in a field that you're reading. Then methodology, I, I usually I jump because it's only relevant insofar as the results are mm -hmm. weird, right? It's like, or or you have questions about it, like, oh, they found this thing, that's weird. Like, why? How many people did they did they research? Uh, is it a biased sample? Things like this. And so you need to go right. to methodology, but usually you don't need to go to the methodology. I usually browse also to see if there's a graph, because graphs mm -hmm. usually are going to show you many of the insights easily easily summarized. And then I, if yeah, I really want to understand the details of what happened, I, I read the results. The results right. are going to give in details. Okay, we did like this was the result of this thing, and this was the result of this thing. Uh, and then finally, the discussion usually is, is a bit like the abstract, but in detail. So bottom line, how to look at, look at a paper, usually just the abstract. If you want to go more details, if you're new in the field, look at the intro to understand all the other papers in the field. Mm -hmm. If not, just go to the discussion. And then if you want to go deeper, you can go to the results. And if you want to go deeper, you can go, go to the methodology. Right. Good. Is there a, a tool that you use to manage your, like, references and citations and all those PDFs? It's not. I'm so bad. I'm so bad. <laughs> I'm so bad. Sometimes in my Me newsletter, too. I have to write. I have to write. Uh, yeah. uh, I read this somewhere. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't it anymore. Uh, I, 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 I heard people use Zotero. Uh, yeah, I never, yeah. I never used it. Uh, so yeah, I haven't used it either. But uh, a colleague of mine swears by it. Like mm. he, I, I, I saw him yesterday, and uh, he was giving me a hard time because I'm not using Zotero. So I have uh, to. Maybe I should. But it, but it's, I think it's a big startup cost when you have like a whole library that you just want to move in. It's not like you could go to like I don't think you can go to Google mm. Scholar like copy the citations, drop it into Zotero. I think it's yeah. a little bit more manual than that. So Yeah, and in my case, I, I, I don't even, I have no system. My system, system is really linking the articles, like the, the papers in my articles. Yeah. And that becomes my index because I remember my articles and so I can go back, oh, what was this right. paper? So that's now my, like, which is shitty, it's terrible. Uh, yeah. uh, but but I, think, <laughs> I think the point there is you can go pretty far without any system. And mm -hmm. so I'm the kind of person to say, um, if if you're if you're not a pro and you're thinking about your system for citations, then you're you're doing something wrong. You're procrastinating into actually just 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 starting and, and, and working on this. Right, right. So let's go to maps because this was the reason I reached out yeah. in the first place, because you have this amazing Twitter thread about geography and about maps, which which tags back to what you were talking about earlier on how you sort of think about this yeah. broad landscape of of content. Um and so one of the things I was I was looking back, and I think you have a, a thread that sort of pulls all of your maps together. It is this yeah. tremendously long, great thread. But like yeah. you talk about how maps uh, distort the world. And yeah. I, I was hoping you could talk more about that and how it distorts countries, governments, people, how yeah. you know, policy the, works. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So there's this, the big, the biggest way in which they're distorted uh, is is the fact that you, you need to put a sphere on a plane, right? 
So the, the equator is the biggest part of, of, of the world. The poles are just a point. And if you put, need to put them into a rectangle, you, you need to expand the poles a lot and you keep the equator uh, straight, right? And so the same. And so the, the, the result of doing this is the farther up you go, the far, north or south you go mm -hmm. away from the equator, the bigger the space is going to look like. And it happens that the closer you are to the equator, the poorer the countries usually are. And we can talk about it in a second because it's fascinating, mm -hmm. fascinating why. And the farther away you, you go, the, the wealthier uh, the countries. And so it ends, up, it ends up being that the richer the country, the bigger it looks like on a map as opposed to reality. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you look on a nor normal map, which is a Mercator uh, um, projection, uh, Green, uh, Greenland and Africa, they look kind of the same size when in fact right. one is massively bigger than the other. And, right. and, and for me, uh, I think two or three of the examples that are the most shocking here is um, the width of Africa is about the same as the width of Russia. And it looks mm. like it's so much smaller, but it's, this, right. it's, it's probably the same width. And then another one that really shocked me is Indonesia, the country of Indonesia, is about the same uh, extension as Europe. In fact, one of mm. all of Europe. In fact, one of the things that that is an interesting shortcut to use is um, there's a lot of big areas in the world that are quite similar in size. So, the U.S. is similar to Canada, Australia, uh, India, China, Europe. Uh, uh, you have all these big areas that are actually quite similar uh, yeah. in size, and it definitely does not look like it no, in, in a right. map. Yeah, I think the one that I, I always come back to is that Greenland, Saudi Arabia, and the Democratic Republic of the Congo are that's right. all about the same size. Yeah, that's and right. That's right. It, I mean, Greenland is such the like outlier there, it's right? Exactly. In the way it's portrayed. It's so it's so sort of, and, and, and the crazy thing is that uh, DRC is not even the Democratic Republic of the Congo. It's not even the biggest country in Africa. Right. In, right. It's Argelia. And so it's so not even, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. So maybe talk a little bit about the, uh, so people understand the correlation between the distance from the equator and income, because you, you had mentioned that. The yeah, so, countries tend to be and, around and, and this is crazy. So, so about two, three centuries ago, um, people started noticing this, right? The, the, the colonialist, European colonialists coming from the north, they're going close to the equator in, um, in, in Africa, in America. In Asia and seeing that they're poorer, and they're making starting making this hypothesis, and the hypothesis, of course, is going to be, oh, they're lazier, right? And they work right. And so, and so these these uh, basically something uh, has pervaded uh, through through the centuries, and and usually I find these kinds of explanations of the world that are based on culture or morality. Uh, uh, be very poor to actually explain the world. Usually things are, are more connected to systems. And so mm. okay, people are, uh, um, one of the reasons why they're saying is like, yes, when you're closer to the equator, it's warmer. And so because it's so warm, you cannot really work as much. Uh, meanwhile, uh, as Protestants in Northern Europe, we work so much and we work, we're so, like, so, so hard work, <laughs> right. right? It's like, uh, really? It is true that um, when temperatures increase, Productivity decreases, but it doesn't mean that the uh, being just warmer uh, uh, means you work less. 
So I'm looking into this a lot. There's actually less uh, written about this than you would imagine. And my current hypothesis is the following. When you're closer to the equator, because it's so hot, the places that get inhabited are different than closer to the poles. In Europe, uh, the Alps, for example, the Pyrenees, or in, in, in the US, the Appalachians, those are not populated, right? Mm -hmm. It's too cold. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you have the plains that are populated. It is the reverse as you get closer to uh, to the equator, right? For example, mm -hmm. in, in, you look at the map of Colombia, all the people are on the mountains. They're not mm -hmm. in the jungles, they're not in the... In fact, the Inca Empire was uh, on the mountains. Uh, right. the, the Aztecs, uh, we're on the mountains and Mexico is the, is the, is the uh, highest, uh, it's very, very high in elevation. Uh, La Paz in, in Bolivia is one of the uh, uh, highest elevation um, mm -hmm. capitals of the world. And so we have this pattern of the mountains are the ones that are populated when you're closer to the, to the equator. And it so happens that mountains are very bad for economic development because right. it makes trade so much harder and so there's much less. And so you need to consume everything locally, which means that you have a big local population, but you don't have a lot of trade, so you don't make a lot of money, so you're really poor. Mm. Right. Not to mention the colonialism that you mentioned earlier. That uh, uh, yeah. that's right. And and yeah. but, but like, like that, then we get into a completely different topic. Right. 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 If yeah, you want exactly. one day, yeah. we can debate it. <laughs> I don't know if people are going to listen to an eight-hour podcast, so we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll move on. Um, so you have this understanding or background of thinking about how maps distort our perception of the world. And so when you write about uh, the various pieces of content that you write about, do you try to educate your readers on some of these aspects of distortion? So when you write about economics or you write about, you know, uh, fertility rates, I mean, I mean, any climate change, any of these things that you're talking about and the way that people think about the world is not necessarily true like you just said these distortions that we see in the size of countries and how they're arranged and how they're aligned are not necessarily true so do you try to you know kind of kind of break that thought process that probably many people many of your readers have yeah i think i think i try to do that with every topic that i touch right mm -hmm. i think the uh, i'm trying to take examples right i think one of them is that illustrates a bit to your point is why the island of Java in Indonesia has more mm. population than all of Russia, which is the biggest country in the world, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and you can, you can show the sizes. Uh, it's, yeah. it's ridiculous how different languages like, right? <laughs> yeah. right? And then you can go into the detail, like you, you use that as, as a hook, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then you can go into the detail and it turns out that one of the main reasons why Java is so populated is because of volcanism. Uh, uh, because uh, these are, it's a volcanic island, it's east-west, um, mm -hmm. there's, there's uh, volcanic um, eruptions, and then all the ash falls on the land, and the mm -hmm. ash is amazing for, 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 for the fertility of the, of the, um, of the ground, and right. so the, the, the growth of, of rice there is orders of magnitude better than in neighboring um, um, Sumatra, for example. Right. So, so, so those are, that's an example. I think if you generalize it, uh, this is what I try to do with every, each one of the topics, right? It's like a, let's try to go deep and understand which ones of our preconceived opinions were right and which ones were wrong. And, I, and I'll give you another example. Uh, I, I was looking into climate change, right? I, I 
and, and I come at every topic without a bias. Like, I just want to understand it, like what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so for, for climate change, my, my prior there was the earth is going to be, um, like the survival of earth is going to be challenged uh, in this event that has never, ever, ever happened before, right? And so mm-hmm. when, I lo- when, when I looked into the, the details, it turns out that, well, the temperature of the earth was higher uh, 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 three million years ago and earlier, there was more CO two at the point. At that point, mm-hmm. uh, the the previous mm, uh, events of uh, mass animal uh, 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 destruction were probably worse than they're going to be here. And so, so you you start seeing these claims that okay, I thought these were were true. They're not. And then, and then you can narrow zero in into the ones that are right. And so, what, what mm. is true? Like the, the speed of the change is fastest that it's ever been. Uh, that's one. And then the the economic uh, uh, displacement is going to be uh, very, very, very bad. Humans right. are not going to disappear. Uh, nature is not going to disappear. Uh, 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 most animals are not going to disappear. Uh, but it's going to be really bad for a bunch of animals and economically for a lot of, of, of people, which might cause uh, immigrations and wars and things like this, right? And so, but right. narrowing down what specifically the issue is then allows us to to better understand what the problem is and then and then to better solve it. Right. And so it sounds like a lot of your um, your work is in a lot of ways sort of fighting the misinformation and disinformation that's that's out there because you're trying to go deep. And not necessarily refuting some claim that someone's made, but to educate people on some topic, you know, really based in the in the literature. Do you feel that responsibility when you're writing that you're that you're you know trying to resolve or you know trying to fight against that a little bit? Yes, yeah, it is very much. It's very much the the aim uh, of, of what I'm trying to do, right? Really deeply understand the world so you can actually in the right direction. Um, yeah. And it's what we were saying, right? The the, the those who are good at communicating are usually bad at, con- at understanding the content and vice versa. And so bridging yeah. that gap, I think, I think, I think is important. And there are a few people doing it, but, but not, not enough. And I think at the end of the day, most of the decisions that we take as a society, um, either culturally or politically, are based on the analysis of these problems. And if you, so if you don't understand these problems, you will uh, make poor decisions. I think mm-hmm. the, best, the best example of this is is what I did in COVID, right? And uh, uh, the 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 high my my first articles became very viral. The first one was alerting the world, hey, uh, this is coming, and you you don't understand what's going on. You need to close your country as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. That got that got around fifty million views. And then and then the next mm-hmm. one after after that, the hammer and the dance was a proposal on how actually to manage the the, the, the pandemic. And the idea of it is, look, you have no idea what's going on. And so the only thing you can do is you, you need to stop everything right now to understand better and mm-hmm. to build sub stop gap solutions. And once you understand that, then you, you need to do a very rational, like ROI based analysis on what measures you should, you should have at any, any, any given point. This simple idea then lots of countries actually follow that, that strategy at the beginning and that makes sense. But then they started misunderstanding it and we had lockdowns for more than two years, which I think yeah. makes no sense because the, the economic impact that this has is way above uh, the benefit that it gives. And so, and so you, end up, you end up in a position where uh, because you misunderstand the problem, 
you 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 don't know uh, what are the right solutions, mm-hmm. and then so, society suffers. And then, and, mm-hmm. and so what I did for COVID is very much what I tried to do for each one of these other uh, these measures. Right. Um, I wanna I wanna blend your uh, early career work with your current career work. So we've seen because uh, you've written a bit about blockchain, you've written a bit about about AI, and I'm curious about the data viz piece of particularly of maps since that's yeah. a, a focal point yeah, and yeah. ai like how do you see those two interacting in the next you know few yeah. years yeah like is is ai going to make the challenge of making maps and doing geographic analysis easier or is it going to be you know are our are, are misperceptions of geography going to feed into the ai and and exacerbate the yeah. perceptual problem i think the the current map representations are so much worse than they can be. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. When, when you see a normal map, like first, usually these are political maps, right? So they look, they, they show states, nation states, um, but nation states are very recent. Like I think we have close to 200 countries now in the world, mm-hmm. but 70 years uh, ago, we had something like 53, right? Uh, and then if you go 200 years ago, there were only two, 12 nation states. Right? Mm-hmm. So super recent, super new, and yet this is what we show. So, so that, that tells you an, another example of how map distorts uh, a perception, right? Uh, uh, for, for me, what, one of the even better examples is mountains. Like relief, topography um, uh, maps show you um, a little bit... Uh, where there's plains and where there's mountains, but they don't tell you the key insight about plains and mountains, which is mountains are very fucking hard to climb. <laughs> right? And so, for example, like what is easier uh, to walk a hundred kilometers or to climb one kilometer? Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. like hands down, walking a yeah. hundred kilometers is easier, right? Yeah. But if you show a hundred, like uh, to 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 scale. Right? It's going to look like, oh, this mountain is this tiny thing. It doesn't matter. And so you need to show exaggerated, extremely exaggerated uh, altitude maps for a map to convey the key insight, which is not the altitude. It is yeah. the difficulty for humans. Yeah. And, so, and so this is an example of uh, uh, exaggerated topography maps are relatively recent. right? And now, like there's been an explosion of the last few years. Uh, and so... And this is an example where if you have an AI tool that can take a data point and uh, display it more easily, uh, then you can have substantial more creativity on how you can uh, uh, show them. So, so displaying existing data is, is one of the big, big, big areas for improvement. And the other one is joining data. Like, mm-hmm. like, like 90% of the work uh, of, of geographers is just like finding the right data and putting it yeah. Clearly, but this is like trivial for an AI, and so and so uh, sites and AI that can put all this information in one place, is it accessible? And without knowing ArcGIS or any coding thing, any yeah. person can map anything. Like there's going to be an explosion on 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 on, on maps and the insights that come with it. There's going to be a mm-hmm. lot of shit, but yeah. the two percent that are amazing are going to be so much better than anything that we've seen before. That I think map mapping is going to to see a massive massive. Um, uh, uh, awesome. Yeah, uh, that is an optimist. I like the optimistic yeah. take on it. Um, do you have a favorite map of of 
any topic? Is there like a, a map that you that you like? Yeah, I think I think those exa exaggerated topography maps are, are my yeah. favorite. I think the, yeah. like just showing these um, uh, the, the, the mountains uh, uh, exaggerated really really gives you a core insight. And I think so. That's one. There's another one uh, in technology. Uh, there's always this thing where when a new technology arrives, people just transpose the previous technology to, to the new one, right? So, for example, if yeah. you have cinema, right, for 30 years after cinema, uh, 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 movies were mostly theater but recorded, right? And then movies like Citizen Kane come around and completely reinvent storytelling based on the, on the, on the, on the media. Something, is, something similar, I think, is happening with maps. Mm. Uh, because maps were on paper, they were mostly fixed, right? Um, and I don't think a fixed map, a static map, conveys most information. Mm. And I'll give you an example. For me, the the one of my favorite uh, maps is an animated map that contrasts plains and mountains with population density. And so if instead of having one or the other, right? So ima imagine the height, like the height on one side, mm -hmm. like plains, mountains, and the other one is where people live. And so if you put them side by side, you're not going to really be able to see the patterns easily because your eyes need to go from one to the other and right. it's, easy, it's hard to compare. But if you put them one on, on, on top of the other and you show and, you, and you, you take it off, you can very easily see, oh, interesting. In uh, temperate areas, there's a perfect overlap between plains and people. Right. And vice versa, in, 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 in more uh, equatorial areas, the overlap is on the mountainside. So what I like about that, the way you describe that is moving away, I guess, from your traditional like geographic map, a Mercator projection or Robinson projection, but just rethinking how the geography is presented, just layering mountains and plains on top of each other and not worrying about what projection we use. Just like, I don't know, it's just a different way of thinking about presenting geographic data rather than just like our traditional map. Yeah, and, and I think I think you're you're bringing uh, two, two points that are valuable. One of them is accuracy, and I think accuracy is very important. Uh, uh, and I think we're going to get even more accuracy in the future. The, the, there's a reason why Mercator has actually been is being used now too. It's um, it's the one that makes the least uh, how to say um, distortion at the zoom in zoom out level, right? So mm -hmm. Google Maps use Mercator or used to uh, because you zoom in, you zoom out, it looks the same uh, locally, globally, and there's no problem. Right now, I don't know if you noticed. But if you zoom out enough from Google Maps, then it, it starts becoming a globe. Like there's a, there's a moment in, in like if you zoom in, it's a, it's a, it's it's plain, but it becomes a globe. And so I think mm -hmm. this kind of these type of distortions uh, we're solving now, and it's yeah. going to be easy, even easier to solve through through AI and uh, uh, in the future. Uh, and then once you so that's kind of the first layer. But I think the second layer that that makes me even more excited is is just the insights by coupling the information in different ways. We're going to be able to see to see to, to understand geography in a way that we didn't before. Right. So before we wrap up, so on your Substack, Uncharted Territories, what do you have in the what do you have in the works? Like what what can people expect in the in, in the next few 
weeks, yeah. months, years as you do this. Yeah. So I have, <laughs> I have at any given point, I have around 100 to 150 drafts that I'm working on in parallel. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so it's pretty brutal. Um, right now, I'm, I'm still working on uh, this series around the game theory of sex, right? So there's a lot mm -hmm. of things that come from it, like, for example, understanding slut shaming, slut shaming and, and body counts. So that, why are we seeing problems there and what, what can we do about that? Uh, there's topic about there's an area around real estate, for example. I have this this hypothesis that real estate as an investment class is going to be substantially worse in the coming decades than it was in the previous ones. Mm. Um, there's a question around future of education. Uh, I think uh, education is not at all what we think it is, um, and the future is going to be massively uh, changed uh, through AI. Questions around climate change. Uh, I think climate change could already be solved right now if the people who claim, who care about, uh, really did what they uh, have to do about it. And so understanding mm -hmm. what are the incentives there, mm -hmm. how we can solve it, how we can change the incentives. Um, uh, how many people should we have on Earth? Like, sh sh do we have too many? Uh, uh, should we, should, can we have more? Uh, how is that linked to, to progress and economic development? So these mm -hmm. are some of these, like, 50 to 100 just, topics. I'm, just I'm a few questions. small, just small few, topics. Yeah. Small, of, small yeah. questions. <laughs> <laughs> small questions. Well, uh, Tomas, thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, uh, pleasure, I will put man. links to, to, to your TED Talk and to the Substack that everybody should check out. So uh, thanks a lot Thank for you. coming on the show. I really appreciate it. John, it was, uh, I had a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you. Thank you for your work. Thanks everyone for tuning into this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you'll check out the list of links that I put in the show notes, including some previous episodes of this podcast that I think are related to the conversation Tomas and I just had around inequality, around maps, and a variety of other topics. So until next time, this has been the Policy of This Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. A number of people help bring you the Policy of This Podcast. Music is provided by the NRIs. Audio editing is provided by Ken Skaggs. Design and promotion is created with assistance from Sharon Satsky Ramirez. And each episode is transcribed by Jenny Transcription Services. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Policy of His Podcast is ad-free and supported by listeners. If you'd like to help support the show financially, please visit our PayPal page or our Patreon page at patreon.com slash policyviz.